Um, it's no question that we are in an ever-changing, ever-shifting culture. Everything around us seems to be shifting and changing. Um, morality seems to be shifting and changing. Things that uh, were right or that seem right or that were right or were deemed right in our culture are now uh, starting to be uh, lessened and, and the emphasis on, on standards and values are starting to be uh, lower and lower. And so the question that we need to ask throughout the course of this series is, where do we stand in an ever-changing culture? Where do we stand when the culture seems to be shifting and changing all around us? It seems like things get, are, are getting worse and worse and worse. But for the body of Christ, for followers of Jesus, where do we stand? And how do we stand in the middle of all the change and all the shifting? I'm reminded of a movie uh, that came out, I think it came out in the 90s. Uh, it's a movie that, that took place, the setting was World War II. And in this movie, there were some uh, allied soldiers uh, that were taken captive and, and imprisoned by the Japanese. And, and these soldiers were, uh, were now prisoners of war, and they are in their kind of uh, cell-like um, jail of some sort, and they're sitting there talking with each other while they're being in prison. And while they're there, they begin to kind of fantasize and think about what life is going to be like when the war ends. When they're free and, they're, and, they're, and the war ends. And so they begin to talk amongst each other. And the first uh, soldier says, man, when the war ends, uh, I'm, I'm going to get married. I'm going to start a family. That's my hope whenever this world ends. And then another soldier said, man, when, I, when the world ends and I get out of here, uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pursue my career, my dream of being a teacher. I want to be a teacher. And there was a third soldier that was there with them, and he was really quiet in all of this. And so they began to look at him, and they said, well, come on, tell us, what are you hoping for? What do you want to do when the war ends? And he just looked right at them and stared at them and said, I'm going to start preparing for the next war. And I thought about that as I saw that quote and heard that quote. I thought, man, that's kind of the life of a believer, of a follower of Jesus. We are in this constant battle every single day of our lives. As long as, as we are following Jesus, as long as we live in the world in which we live today, we are in a constant battle. There's constant war that is happening. Ephesians 6, 13 uh, says this, it says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, Pay attention to that word when, not if the day of evil comes. It says when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Say stand. So Paul is telling us there that the day of evil is coming. I mean, you can look around our culture today and recognize there's a lot of evil around in our culture. There's a lot of evil around in society. There's a lot of things that we see happening that are, that are wicked and evil and, and dark. And what that is, is it's as though we see uh, people in the flesh 
physically we see people acting on these things and doing these different things, but, but the reality for, that we need to come to and the, the understanding that we need to have is that there is, a, there is a spiritual war, a spiritual battle that is constantly happening all around us. The devil is at work. The devil and all his goons, his demons, are at work today. And the moment that you opened your eyes this morning, the battle began. The moment that you stepped foot into this sanctuary today, the battle began. There is a constant war and fight that is happening. And the question we have to ask ourselves is where do we stand in the middle of the battle? Where do we stand? Because the reality for all of us is if we're not fighting, we're compromising somewhere. If you are not fighting, if you are not acknowledging that there's a battle that is happening, then there's somewhere where you're compromising. Because I don't know about you, but living this life following Jesus, it's a difficult one. Standing up for purity and for righteousness and for holiness, that's difficult. Because we live in a world that is so dark. We live in a culture that is always changing. We live in a, in a culture that, 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 is, that is full of wickedness and evil. And how do we stand? And so if you're not fighting, you're compromising. If you're just coasting through the day and you're coasting through the week without a battle and a fight, then there's a compromise. But if you're following Jesus and you're trying to live a life of holiness, you're trying to live a life of his righteousness, and you're trying to represent Jesus to this world, then you best believe there is always going to be a fight. There is always going to be a battle so that you may be able to stand your ground. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, what it is to stand, what that looks like for us to stand. And so we'll be hanging out in the book of Daniel over the next few weeks. This is kind of a, a dive into the book of Daniel. And so if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And I pray you're taking notes this morning because as I said last week, you might forget this message by 2 p.m. today. Unless you just have the best memory of all get out, then kudos to you. But I have the worst memory. I'll forget. And so I encourage you to take notes. Take notes on your phone, whatever. Just take notes because I want you just to sit and marinate on this throughout the week. I want you to be equipped because I don't want you to lose the battle. I don't want you to lose the fight. This isn't a pep talk. This isn't a rah-rah type talk this morning. This is a, a real talk. This is a, 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 a down, down, get into the nitty-gritty, down into the, into the trenches with you talk where we've got to come to the understanding that we are in a fight. And some of us may be losing the fight, but not unless we stand. In the book of Daniel chapter 1, let's begin reading at verse 1. Verse 1 says this, in the third year, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. 
These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Let's stop right there for a moment. So what we see here in the text is that this king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came and conquered and besieged Jerusalem. The home of the Israelites, these are, these are God's people, God's children, God's chosen group. They've been conquered. They've been besieged by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And throughout the Old Testament, what we see is this constant uh, roller coaster up and down of obedience and disobedience to God from the Israelites. There are countless times where we see the Israelites obeying God and things going well for them and then disobeying God and then things going really, really bad for them. And God had given the Israelites these instructions. God had given the Israelites these warnings. God had laid it out for him, laid it out for them. Deuteronomy 12, 28, he gives them these laws and these standards, and he says, look, I need you to, to obey and hold up these standards and these laws. Why? So that it may go well with you, right? God gave them the warning. He gave them the instruction. Just obey me, and it'll go well with you. But as we see throughout the Old Testament, there were seasons where they obeyed, and then there were seasons where they disobeyed. And there were times where that disobedience caught up with them. In fact, in Leviticus uh, 26, uh, God promised them, God spoke to them, and he promised his people, he promised the Israelites that they would experience an exile due to their disobedience. He, this, this thing we read in Daniel 1.1, like he foretold them this was going to happen. Like, y'all are going to experience something very, very bad because of your disobedience. And now what we see in Daniel 1, this is coming to pass. This is a very, very bad situation for the Israelites. Having Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come and conquer them and besiege them, besiege them, eventually exiling them, kicking them out of their homeland, kicking them out of what is familiar to them, kicking them out of what has been safety for them. They've been conquered. And now what we're starting to see is Israel is now starting to experience this culture shift. Because see, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they had a different way of living. They had a different lifestyle. They didn't worship the God of the Israelites. They didn't worship Jehovah God. And so their intent was to take over Jerusalem, take over the Israelites in the hopes that they would come in and indoctrinate them with who they are. We're going to teach you our ways of living. We're going to teach you our ways of thinking. We're going to teach you our ways and how to worship our gods. And so Israel is experiencing a culture shift. Things are start, starting to shift and change all around for Israel. And I would say the same thing for us in our day and age and what we experience today. I, I, I believe we're experiencing a culture shift. How many of you would agree we're experiencing a culture shift? I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to look too far to see it. All you got to do is turn on the TV and you'll experience a culture shift. Things that 
that were deemed inappropriate in the 50s and 60s are now very much appropriate and accepted today. Television programs that didn't want to show certain things in the, in the 70s and 80s. Television programs now are showing everything. Music that is being shared over the airwaves was a little bit more censored back in the, in the 60s and 70s, 80s. But now... There was a culture shift, and now things aren't as censored as they were before. We're experiencing a culture shift. Things are happening. In the same way uh, we feel about the culture shifting today, the same things we're starting to see and experience today, this is what Israel was experiencing. They're like, whoa, this is different. They're experiencing a culture shift. Things are changing all around them. Let's continue reading Daniel 1, verse 3. After they've besieged Jerusalem, after they've uh, uh, removed the articles from the temple of God, things that they would use for worship, that Jerusalem and Israel would use uh, for worship, removed them from the temple of God. They took them, uh, he, Nebuchadnezzar had them taken to the temples of his gods. Verse 3, it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some, servant, service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Verse 4, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so do we see what's going on here? Now that they've conquered and besieged Jerusalem, now the king orders for these young men, these young Hebrew boys, these young Israelite boys, to be brought into his courts. Young men, probably teenagers, boys, to come into his courts. And they couldn't just be any type of boy. They had to be handsome boys. They had to be uh, uh, smart, intelligent boys. Uh, 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 those that they knew would grow up to be people of influence. And so Nebuchadnezzar ordered them to come in. And his intent was that he would indoctrinate these Hebrew boys to his culture. That he would brainwash them of everything that they had known, everything that they were accustomed to, everything that they were used to. He would brainwash them of those things and begin to indoctrinate them in his ways, in the ways of the Babylonians. Again, I want you to think like we think. I want you to live like we live. I want you to speak like we, be, we speak. I want you to become one of us. And so what he's doing to them is he is deconstructing their faith. He's deconstructing what they are familiar with. They are familiar with, with the worship of their God. They're familiar with the worship of Jehovah God, the one true God. But King Nebuchadnezzar is like, no, let's rid them of that and let's indoctrinate them with who we are. 
Let's teach them our ways so that they become like us. Why? Because they knew that these boys would eventually grow up to be people of influence. And if they could catch them while they're young, if they can indoctrinate them while they're young, then by the time they're old and people of influence, they too will start to influence others and others and generations after them. And so what do we see in regards to the shifting of culture? What are we seeing now in regards to uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians taking over Jerusalem? Well, what we see what, what Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he's waging war and he is attacking our future. He's attacking their future. He said the adults, many of them are set in their ways, but these boys, if we can get them while they're young, and teach them our ways while they're young, there's a good possibility that they'll grow up and become just like us. So there is an attack on the future. There is an attack on the next generation. And can I tell you something this morning? In the same way, in the same mindset that Nebuchadnezzar had toward these Hebrew boys, this is the same mindset that the devil has for us today. He's coming for your children. He's coming for your kids. He's coming for our future. See, the devil knows that if he can indoctrinate our children, if he can indoctrinate our kids, then they'll grow up to think like him, live like him, and speak like him. There's an attack on the future that is happening right now as we speak. The devil wants to deconstruct, and I'm speaking to us even within the church here. The devil wants to deconstruct the faith of our babies, wants to deconstruct the morality of our babies, wants to deconstruct the standards that are set for our babies, for our kids. And if I can be really honest this morning, in many ways, he's doing a very, very good job. We're starting to see some of the results of what he's been attempting to do all these years. If he can get them while they're young, if he can indoctrinate them while they're young, He's doing that in the hopes they grow up to be like him. There is an attack on the future. We know this is evident in our day and age now because um, there are a lot of other forces that are raising our children rather than us. There are a lot of other forces in the world today, when I say forces, I mean evil forces. There are, there are demonic forces in our world today that are raising our children other than us. You say, well, not my kid. I raised my son. I raised my daughter. They're in my house. I, I've got them. I know, I know what they do. I know what they don't do. I know, what, I know how they think. I know how they speak. They're going to grow up to be just like me. But then this comes along. 
So now, where we were once afraid to allow our kids to go out and play, we don't have to have them go outside anymore for their protection. We don't have to fear for them to be out there for somebody to, 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 to take them, to kidnap them, to do whatever, or to, to, to influence them bad. No, it's come right into your home. It's right in your home now. It, 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 it's right in their, their bedrooms. It's right in your living room. It's right in their pocket. And the devil is using these, these means of social media and devices and entertainment. He's using these means to indoctrinate our kids. And my prayer for us as parents, as mothers and fathers, that we would not be naive that we would not be caught off guard. But that we would stand up. That we would raise the standard. That we would guard our generation, our next generation, our children, our babies from the evil and darkness of this culture. See, they don't have to get it from out there anymore. For many of us, we've supplied them with their detriment. Look, this isn't my spiel against cell phones and nothing like that. Like, I'm not that guy. I love technology. I love technology. I love the good of technology. I love what, what technology does. I love the fact that, man, I can, I, can, I can know everywhere my daughter is at any given moment of the, of the day. She don't know I'd be tracking her and checking her, but I do. I love technology for those reasons. I love technology for the fact that we can get the gospel out. I shared earlier how live streaming, man, the gospel has gone out even further and beyond. More people are being exposed to the gospel. It's great. I love technology for all the good reasons, but I hate it for all the bad reasons. I hate it for what it's doing to our babies. I hate it that I thought I was keeping my kids safe in my own home. I thought I was protecting them. I thought I was guarding them, and I'm locking the doors, and I'm shutting the windows. And, man, you are safe in here. Little did I know I invited the enemy into my house. It's a story of all of us as parents to some degree. My prayer is that we don't get caught off guard. Because there's an attack on the future. There's an attack on the next generation. And the Bible says, verse 7, the chief official gave them new names. Talk about these Hebrew boys. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. He's changing their names now. Names that they were given at birth as a representation of Jehovah God. The Babylonians are now changing their names. They're like, nope, rid them of those names and let's give them our names. Let's give them the names that are representations of our gods. Because after all, they're, they're, they're one of us now. 
And so now we see a stripping of identity. So not only is there an attack on our future, there's also an attack on their identity. And my hope and my prayer for that us as parents, and let me just say, when I say us as parents, I'm literally talking about me too. My hope and prayer for us as parents, as as the body of Christ, that we would so fill our children We would so let it be known to our children the identity that they have in Jesus. That our children would know how valuable and precious they are in the to the life in the life of Jesus. That we would teach them the ways of the Lord. That we would show them the scriptures. That we would show them the standards that God has set. That we would show them what it means to live holy. That we would show them what it means to live for righteousness. And that we will mark them with that identity. Because I promise you, the world is trying to give them a whole new identity. If I can change, if we can change everything that they've known, if we can change and get them to lower their standards, if we can change to get our kids to kind of lower their morality radar, if we can change to, to them to say like, hey man, my, my, my mom and dad said that, that, that this wasn't right, but you know what, that, that, that looks okay, that doesn't look wrong to me. Everybody else is doing it, my friends are doing it, I see it online now, it looks so common now, why don't I just jump in and partake with that? I know what my dad said, but no, let me just go ahead and pursue this. See, the world has softened a lot of things up. Things that were wrong don't seem so wrong anymore. Things that were deemed very inappropriate and so taboo, we just don't talk about that. Everything's kind of like, yeah, everything's just free. Be you. And so now they want to strip them of their identity. They want to strip them of who they are in Jesus. They want to strip them of who they are living holy, who they are living righteously, who they are living at the standard. So not only is there an attack on, their, on, their, on our future, if there's an attack on their identity, but now there's also an attack on just what is right. What is right? We don't know what is right anymore. What is right? Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it leads to death. Like this is so real in the time that we live in now. What may be right for you doesn't have to be right for me. Well, you do you and I'm just going to do me. Let you, you call that truth? Well, let me live my truth. Let me live my truth. Let me live what seems right to me. And so what we see in culture and what we see in society right now is just this, this, this blurry, these blurry lines that are being presented to us where we don't know what's right or wrong anymore. And if we're not careful, we're going to let culture dictate. We're going to let culture run and teach. We're going to let culture indoctrinate our children to what they deem is right and to what they deem is the standard. But let me tell you something, as parents, as mothers and fathers, 
Let's please, please, please continue to raise the standard for our children. Let's raise the standard for our babies. Let's show them the ways of the Lord. Let's show them what the Bible says. Let's, 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 let's take out the Bible. Let's, let's pray together. Let's, let's talk about the things of God. Let's, let's, let's be real with one another. Let's, let's do these things. But, it, but, but sometimes I think we as parents, we're guilty of allowing, letting the church do that. Let's, let's let the pastor do that. Let's let the minister do that. Let's let, let's let them do that. Uh, I, but, but we don't realize that as fathers and as mothers that we have the responsibility in our home to raise the standard. We have the responsibility within our home to take the stand. We have the responsibility in our home to show our children, to show our babies, to show our grandbabies, to value what God values, to value what is right. Because I promise you, there is an attack on the family. There is an attack on the future. There is an attack on what is right and an attack on their identity. Are you encouraged yet? Are you really encouraged? <laughs> so what was Daniel's response to what the king is offering? So now the king is saying, look, give them these new names. Let's Let's, let's, let's show them our ways. Let's let them eat what we eat. Let's allow, let's allow these, these boys to get a taste for, 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 for how we eat, to get a taste for our foods, the king's foods, the king's table. Let's let them get a taste because we know that once they get a taste, they're going to love it. Once they get a taste, doesn't that sound interesting, right? In our day and age now, man, once we get a taste of the world, once we get a taste of what the world has to offer, once we get a taste of what these demonic forces are trying to put at our table. Just let them get a taste and they'll love it. Let them get a taste and they'll like it and they'll follow us and they'll live like us and they'll think like us and they'll speak like us. But look at Daniel's response, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Go down to verse 14. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And so Daniel's like, look, um, if it's all right with you, we don't want to eat of the king's food. I love the fact that Daniel wasn't a jerk about it. Daniel was like, look, everything here probably it looks great. Like that, that big old pig on the table, that looks really, really succulent. Looks really good. I mean, everything's so colorful. Oh my gosh, it looks so, so good. But here, look, um, if you may, I, I would like, to, I would like to, to, to do a little test here. The rest, of the, the rest of these boys, let them go ahead and feast on that. But me and my, my three friends, we're, we're going to stick to our diet. We're going to stick to what we know. 
Not, not because we want not because we want to upset you or anything, but we just want to, we just want to put something to the test. Give us ten days, and 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 let's see. Let's see the status of, of, of us and the status of these boys that ate the, the king's meat. Let, let's just see where we are 10 days from now. And so they allowed, they agreed. They said, okay, we'll let you eat the way you're accustomed to eating. We'll let you eat and not touch the king's delicacies for 10 days. Verse 20 says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better, 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. All because Daniel chose not to defile himself. Daniel chose to stand up and raise the standard and keep the standard. Daniel chose to say, hey, hold up. Before we partake of this, let me present this to you. Give us 10 days. And what happened after 10 days? The king was amazed. He said, man, these boys, they're above par. They're above the rest. They're 10 times better than all these other folks. They are 10 times better. Why? Because Daniel chose not to defile himself, which gives us the reality that we must face is that God's way is always the best way. And if we can just show that to our children, that God's way is always the best way. If we can show our children that it's okay to take a stand, that it's okay to resolve within yourself that you won't defile yourself with what the world is offering you. And I know I'm talking about from parents to children, but as mothers and fathers, let's talk about ourselves for a moment. It's really hard to teach our children things that we too aren't really doing ourselves. It's really hard to teach a standard of righteousness and holiness to our sons and daughters when we don't really have our standard of holiness and righteousness set. It's really difficult to teach your kids not to be all in this when we too are all in this. Hey, I'm speaking to myself. I'm speaking to myself. But my hope for us is that we would teach our babies to stand. But not just teach them in word, but teach them in action. Teach them in action in how we live our lives. I know it, man. We, we look at culture and we, we look at all that's going on around here, man. We want it to change. We want it to change. We, we want there to be more morality. We want there to be more standards set in entertainment. We want there to be more morality and, and standards set in our government. We want all these different things. And you know what? Pray for those things. Vote for those things. Do all that kind of stuff. 
But let's not think for one minute that we're going to see any of those changes out there if we don't identify what needs changing in here. Casting a vote is the easy thing. Casting a vote is the easy way out. But don't just cast a vote and not change what's in here. Because God's way is always the best way. And if we're going to take a stand, it's got to go above and beyond the ballot box. It's got to start in here. Starts in our home. Starts in what we raise the standard of with our sons and our daughters. It starts in what we show them, what we value. Do we value God? Do we value Jesus? Do we value the Bible? Do we value prayer? Do we value church? Do we value the things that God values? Because I promise you, they're coming for your kids. They're coming for your children. They're coming for our future. But it's time for us to take a stand. Amen? Since we need to take a stand, let's stand.